Well, I do want to welcome you in Christ's name. It's good to have each and every one of you here uh, this morning as we continue on this uh, journey. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to live by faith. And uh, this idea of faith is an interesting idea um, because uh, we use this word uh, oftentimes inaccurately, the word faith. Uh, we oftentimes use it much like... An example of hope would be, uh, I really hope uh, that we don't have a long winter, right? I hope we don't have lots of snow and cold, right? I hope... Uh, that these uh, relatives are coming to our house for Thanksgiving. I hope that that one relative doesn't come for Thanksgiving. I hope I get a good deal on Black Friday. Anybody looking for a good deal on Black Friday? Yeah? So, I mean, this is the idea of hope. It's, it's a desire. Uh, it's something that we express from our feelings, our emotions. It's something that we really want. But faith is so much greater than hope. Faith is something that uh, we can have this confidence, this assurance. In fact, the last few weeks we've been looking at the biblical definition of faith. If you ever want to know what the biblical definition, it's in Hebrews 11. So if you've got your uh, Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 yet again today. And so uh, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says, um, what the definition of faith is. He says this, or she. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's not a flip of the coin. There is real confidence. There is real assurance. And so uh, the last couple of weeks I've given you this mathematical equation. Hope plus confidence equals faith, or faith equals hope plus confidence. Um, faith is so much more, it's so much greater. And that helps us as Jesus followers to go through life, that we're not just you know, kind of doing the Hail Mary pass of whatever situation is going on in your life. Oh, I just hope this happens. As Christ followers, we can have that assurance, that confidence that God is going to Hope is future-oriented. Faith is also future-oriented, but faith is firmly anchored in the past. Hope is about, oh, this is what I hope happens, right? But faith is, this is what I believe, what I, I have faith is going to happen because of how God showed up in the past. And so the writer to the Hebrews says this, this is what the ancients were commended for. And over and over and over, the writer gives examples of how God showed up to God's people in ancient times and how that anchoring in, in the past helps us to live into the future. And that's kind of the big picture of what it means uh, to walk and to live by faith. All right, keep your Bibles open to Hebrews 11. We're going to come back to it a few more times. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this gathering of your people in this moment, in this time. As, as Lord, we join billions of people across the planet who are worshiping you today. God, we don't stand alone here, but we stand with um, billions and billions of people who come before you. We submit our lives to you today, but God, at the same time, we wrestle with what it means to have faith, that confident hope in you. So Lord, as we continue on this journey, as we open your word again, 
Uh, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So on Wednesday nights, I get to hang out with our junior high students, and one of the things we oftentimes do is highs and lows. And oftentimes, uh, our low, though the lows of our junior high students, it has to do with a, 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 a test or an exam or something like that at school, right? And so, oh, you know, my low this week is I've got a math test tomorrow. And so I thought in the spirit of our junior high students, I would give you all a pop quiz this morning, right? You guys ready for this? Sure. Excellent. Well, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm making it a little bit easy for you. It's true-false. Okay, so true-false uh, questions, and these are all related uh, to uh, the, the Christian journey. So true-false, number one, I put them up on the screens. Um, Christians never wrestle with doubts. Okay? Okay? You don't want to think about it? Okay. <laughs> Uh, number two, true or false, Christians never suffer failure or defeat in their walk of faith. False. False, okay? Number three, Christians False. False, okay? Number four, Christians are always shielded from hardship, <laughs> suffering, and tragedy. False, False okay? Uh, number four, uh, number five, Christians take hold of God's promises without wavering in faith. False. false. All false, right? Yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way this morning. Because oftentimes we think that Christians don't struggle, Christians don't have hardships, Christians don't fail. But the truth is we all do. We all struggle in our faith. And, and I know even some of the most uh, mature, faithful people struggle in their faith. And, 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 and so this morning, I, I want to just kind of camp out on this idea that it's, it's hard to have faith. It's not easy to have faith. Faith is a difficult thing. Um, each and every day, and you don't just all of a sudden get it one day and then cruise through life. Faith is a daily challenge. It's a daily battle to walk with God, to walk with Jesus Christ. And oftentimes we, we assume or think that having faith is just something as Jesus followers we're just supposed to have, right? Or, or other people are just supposed to have. And when they don't have right? Or we get disappointed in ourselves when we don't have faith. Or we even get disappointed in God because we lose our faith. And, and it's this idea that we have false expectations about what it means to be a Jesus follower. And this morning we're going to look at uh, the difficulty of being a Jesus follower, of walking by faith. But this idea of faith, this struggle of faith has always been difficult for God's people. We can read story after story after story throughout Scripture, and never do we one time see that faith was an easy journey. Faith was just something someone arrived on. Faith was somebody in, in the Bible that was just so easy, and they're just like, oh, I can do this, and they just walked over and over and over. We see the stories of God's people wrestling and struggling to have faith in their daily journeys. And, and way back in the book of Genesis... Early on in Genesis, God comes to a man by the name of Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to go to another nation, to another land. I'm going to give that land to you, and you're going to have lots and lots of descendants. 
And I'm going to make your people a special people. And they're going to bless all the nations around you. And it says in scripture that by faith, Abraham just started walking. And in that moment, it was truly an impossible situation, scenario for Abraham. But he just went anyways because he was going to trust in God despite the hardship, despite what was right in front of him. And towards the end of Abraham's life, as he was getting ready to die, and he did not, at the end of his life, fully see God's promises completely fulfilled. But God gave Abraham just a little glimpse into the promise, into the hope, and into the future. And his name was Isaac. And Isaac, too, struggled mightily. He had lots of hardships, lots of challenges. But at the end of his life, like his father, he also did not fully see the fulfillment of the three promises God offered to Abraham. But God offered Isaac glimpses into the future and offered and invited him to have this confidence, this assurance, this hope. And part of his promises and his glimpse into the future was his, his boys, Jacob and Esau, and we talked about them. And Jacob, his name was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. This idea of uh, Israel literally is, means to wrestle with God, to have physical contact with God, to struggle with God, to, 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 to be in the, in the wrestling pit with God, to, to, to wrangle with God. Does, can anybody relate to this idea of wrestling with God? And I wonder if some of you have come here this morning and you feel like you've been wrestling with God. God, you know what's going on in my life. God, do you even care what's going on in my life? God, do you even exist, or am I just talking to the sky? That's what it means to wrestle with God. Do we have anybody wrestling with God here this morning? Anyone? I'm just going to call you Israel. Okay, if you're wrestling with God, you are Israel, one who wrestles with God. And Israel also did not fully see the promises that God promised to his grandfather, Abraham. But Israel, Jacob, he had a whole bunch of boys. And you might recall that his youngest son was Joseph. And Joseph had that coat, but what's even more important about that coat was that it caused jealousy among Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph, he was, you know, just this young guy, child of a dad, but things went really south fast because his brothers hated him, they tried to kill him, they threw him into a well, and ultimately they sold him off into slavery. And things got even worse for Joseph because while he was in slavery, he got accused of committing a crime he didn't do. And so then he ended up in jail for year after year after year. And Joseph cried out, God, are you listening? Joseph had faith. And God rescued Joseph. He rescued him from that pit, from that prison, and brought him to and made him the COO of Egypt. He was the VP, the second in command to the Pharaoh. And he was really good at it. He was a great manager, and he made the land of the nation very, very prosperous. 
And he was so prosperous, and they were so prosperous, that Joseph invited his entire family to come live with him in luxury and uh, in, in privilege in the land of Egypt. And they all kind of lived happily ever after, right? Mostly. Sort of. But even Joseph, when he died, he did not receive the full promises that were promised to his great-grandfather Abraham. And so Joseph and his whole generation, they all died. And the Pharaoh and all the Egyptian elite died. And it went generation after generation after generation. And this continued on. And pretty soon, the Israelites, God's people, had fallen out of favor with the Egyptian elite. And they became slaves. And so when we pick up the story today, is things are bad. They're really bad for God's people. And they still, I mean, they're, they're very, remember God promised that to Abraham. And God said, I'm going to make you a blessing to bless the other nations. They weren't blessing anybody else. They were just like taking care of other people. They were slaves. And there they are in Egypt. They had not arrived yet to the promised land. And Pharaoh was a little bit paranoid and he was concerned about these uh, overpopulated uh, uh, cutting them back a little bit. And so Pharaoh made a decree to kill all the firstborn uh, children, all the baby boys. And there was a young Hebrew couple who said, we think this is a really bad idea and we, don't, we, we just can't take it. So they built a little uh, raft, a little basket. They put it in the Nile River upstream. And you know what happens next? That basket floated downstream where Pharaoh's daughter found this little baby, this cute little baby. And she fell in love and she picked up this baby out of the basket, out of the Nile River, took this baby back to the palace. She named him Moses and she raised Moses in a life of privilege, power, and prestige. And this is Moses. Somewhere along the way, Moses knew that in his heart of hearts, he was not really an Egyptian, that he was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, that he was part of this lineage, God's lineage, God's promise to God's And so Moses did what many men in their 40s do. He had a midlife crisis. He went to REI. Bought a bunch of camping gear and hit the road. He left Egypt. Everything that was, you know, familiar, everything that was good. I'm going camping. I'm out of here. And then Moses grew this really big, long, shaggy beard. He married a hippie woman by the name of Zipporah. If you've got a child named Zipporah, probably a hippie, right? And they just kind of hung out, and they raised goats and sheep and wandered around. And they did this year after year after year, and they had a couple kids along the way. That was Moses and Zipporah's life. And then one day, God came to Moses in a burning bush and said, Moses, you're done. Your midlife crisis is over. Take a bath, put on some deodorant, brush your teeth, Comb your hair. 
I need you to go back to Egypt. And so Moses went back to Egypt. Now think about this. He's a goat herder, a wanderer in the middle of the wilderness. And God is asking him to take on the wealthiest, most powerful person in Egypt, Pharaoh. Well, how do you think that worked out? Not so great, right? And so for nine plagues, Moses continued to stand in front of Pharaoh and say, God told me to tell you, let his people go. And, Moses, and, and Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And God said to Moses, okay, I've had it. Enough is enough. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody, every household, uh, get a lamb, slaughter it, and take the blood of the lamb and put that blood on the post of your houses, and everyone will be safe inside. And so Moses said, okay. And so he went and told all of God's people, the Israelites, what to do. But they neglected to tell Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. And so when the angel of death came, there was lots of death among the Egyptians, including Pharaoh's household. But not God's people, the Israelites. They were spared. They were saved. And of course, this is the Passover. The Passover, the angel of death, passed over their houses and saved them, rescued them from the death that was all around them. So Pharaoh had had enough, and he let God's people finally go out into the wilderness. And as they got out into the wilderness... Pharaoh thought to himself, you know, that was maybe a bad idea. We just let all of our slaves go. Who's going to take care of the crops and, you know, mind all the, the households? And Pharaoh said, change my mind. Let's go get the Israelites. And so Pharaoh starts chasing the Israelites through, uh, out into the wilderness, out into the desert. And they've got chariots and horses and weaponry. And, and the God's people, the Israelites, they just got themselves, Right? or something like that, but not much more. And pretty soon, as, as God's people um, are going through the wilderness, through the desert, they butt up against the Red Sea. And they're like, what do we do now? And so there's Pharaoh's army bearing down on God's people at the Red Sea, and they're just like, we give up. All hope is lost. And in that moment, Moses had faith in God. He raised his staff and God parted the waters. A miracle. God rescued his people through the waters. And so as they walked across dry land, the Egyptian soldiers thought to themselves, well, we ought to try that too. That looks pretty neat. And as the Israelites got to the other side on dry ground, as the last foot came across, and the Red Sea is full of Egyptians. The waters came crashing down and they were all drowned. Great big uh, flood. Uh, and they were drowned. This is the story of Moses, right? And we know this story, those of you who grew up in church. And it's a great reminder that Moses had lots and lots of struggle. In fact, from the moment Moses was born until he died, his life was nothing but struggle, hardship, suffering, difficulty. And then he died. 
I mean, the story of Moses ends on their wandering through the wilderness. You'd think they'd get to the other side. Uh, the Red Sea uh, closes. Everybody drowns. You think, oh, wow, that's great. And they all lived happily after after. But what happened is the next 40 years, they go wandering through the wilderness. Everybody's complaining and moaning about the food, about the conditions. And this is all Moses has to listen to for the next 40 years. And they get finally on the edge of the promised land. They're standing on Mount Nebo, uh, which is in Georgia. Jordan, the country of Jordan today, looking across the Jordan River. I mean, they can see it. They can see the promised land, that land that was promised to them generations before. And God says, there it is. And then Moses dies. He never gets to walk into the promised land. You know, if I were to summarize Moses' life in one sentence, it would be, life is hard, and then you die. That's Moses, guys. I mean, it really, life is hard. See, even for God's people, God's followers, and to live by faith, that lots and lots and lots of struggle with little, tiny, wonderful, amazing glimpses into the future, into the promises that God has for each one of us. But most of the time, life is going to be about struggle and hardship and just continuing to push into the daily grind, into the daily struggle of walking, of living, of being by faith. And so this morning, um, I want to give you three ideas. uh, from. We all need a little bit of encouragement, right? That there's got to be more to the sermon than life is hard and then you die, Right? (laughs) That's a bad sermon if we just ended right there. So I want to give you some encouragement uh, and, and invite you to think a little bit about um, what, what does it mean to live by faith. Um, so number one, uh, these all come from Moses' life. Um, number one, by faith, we are called to refuse to go with the flow of a sinful society. Now let me, I'm going to back up here uh, to verse 25 and 26. It says that Moses, uh, he chose to be mistreated. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded a disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So Moses said, what I've got right now, which is pretty much everything that he could have wanted, he said, I'm going to walk away from that. And I'm looking for a greater reward. For those of us here today, I think this is a a wonderful, uh, important reminder that we are called to not live in the here and now for what feels good, what feels right, but to truly look ahead to the reward God has for each one of us. God has the same promise for you that he had for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. That he would be with them, that he would guide them, that he would walk alongside them, that he would encourage them, that he would give them this unspeakable joy and peace the world does not know. I think that's the same invitation for us today, is to not walk according to how the culture walks, but how God has invited us to walk. And I know this is difficult because this is uh, the the, the moral decay in our society. It's deeply embedded. I know it's in the school system. 
I know it's in our employment or in our jobs. I know it's with our friends. I know it's with our families. It's people that we know and love. And we see this moral decay all around us. And it's, of course, it's in our media. We, it's this daily barrage of being overwhelmed, of just do whatever you want to do. Whatever feels right, just do it. That's the moral values of our world today. And then, then it leads to all sorts of despair and heartache. And the world has no peace. There's no peace in that. It's all about taking care of what you feel like doing. And there's no peace. There's no joy in that. It, it feels good in the moment, right? But there's no peace that comes from Christ in that. Number two. By faith... We are called to leave the familiar and venture to the foreign. Looking at verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw who was, who is invisible. He left everything that was familiar, everything that was good, everything that was comfortable. He said, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going out. He left all that was familiar into a place that was completely unknown to him. And I, as I was working on the, the message this week, if there's any point that I think you all really understand very, very well, it's this. Because I know every single person in this room has left lots of familiar uh, relationships, familiar buildings, familiar traditions to come into week after week. And I, and I some shared your stories with me of how difficult that was to leave all that's familiar. Some of you shared with me you missed uh, the pipe organ, right? The traditional hymns. Some of you missed stained glass um, and just the, the awe and the wonder of what that does for your spirituality. Many of you miss your friends and the familiarity of walking into a place and seeing people. Some of you miss um, you know, the music and, and the liturgy, and, and I get it, and I understand it. And humbled by your commitment to lead. And some of you drive a long way to get here on Sunday morning. This is not the closest church to your house. But you have come here because you believe God has called you to be here. You've left what's familiar and said, I'm going to where God has called me to go. So if you hear nothing this morning, I just want to affirm your commitment to doing the hard work of leaving what's familiar and who's familiar and stepping out much like Moses stepping out in all that was familiar and comfortable to him. You know, by the way, aren't you glad God left what was familiar uh, to him in heaven? He sent his son Jesus into the world. I mean, can you imagine God and Jesus having this conversation? You know, Jesus, I'm sending you down there amidst the sin and the brokenness of my people. And Jesus is like, I'm good here, right? Jesus has got all his needs met in heaven with his heavenly father. And yet he chose to leave the comfort and the familiarity of heaven and come to be among us. I just think that's praise God. And, and he's inviting us to do the same, to continue to move into the, the worlds of, of what's uh, not comfortable 
uh, and what's not familiar. And, and just, I guess, one final thing before I get to the third point. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. I think one of the greatest mistakes we could make as a congregation is once we, we turn this into something comfortable and familiar for us, right? Then we just become another generation of comfortable, familiar people to one another. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, I, when I, like, when I come in, I like seeing you guys regularly week after week, your smiling faces and uh, giving you hugs, and, and it's a wonderful thing. And, and I will tell you that I am just a little bit reluctant uh, to talk to the, uh, the new person coming in the door. Because I want to talk to you guys. Because you're, you're, you're familiar. I know you. And you're so nice to me. And you're so kind to one another. And it's, that's what's easy, right? It's just to talk to each other. But God is calling us to continue to step out. And if new people come in, we've got to welcome them in to continue to step out of our comfort zones. And we can never become complacent with just being comfortable in this place. Number three. By faith, we are called to swallow our pride and be willing to do the unusual. We're called to swallow our pride and be willing to do the unusual. Now, getting back to uh, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, the Passover story's been around for about 3,000 years. We know this story, right? But in the moment when God came to Moses and said, here's what I want you to do. You've got difficult things going on. Go kill a lamb, take its blood, and sprinkle it on your doorframe. That was unheard of. I mean, if you came to me and said, here's what's going on in my life. Broken relationships, financial struggles, health issues. And I said to you, here's what you need to do. Go get a lamb, cut its neck, and put blood around the doorframe. You'd be like, yeah, that's weird. And you wouldn't be here the next Sunday, right? <laughs> this is weird, folks. This is not normal to put the blood of the lamb on a doorpost. And we've, it's so normal for us because we think, you know, that, well, this is just what they did. This is the Passover, right? But in their time, this was weird. This was very strange. But Moses and God's people had faith. Okay, we're going to just do whatever's weird, whatever's strange, because this is how God works. God shows up and he tells his people to do weird stuff. And it freaks them out. But, the, the, and the, but they do it anyways. About a year ago, I was, I was with a group of pastors. And we were just kind of talking about 20 pastors. We're in a room. We're talking about what's going on in ministry and and uh, so finally got to my turn, and, and so I, I looked at all these other 20 pastors in the room, and I'm like, God has given us a vision uh, to plant a thousand churches uh, over the next 40 years. Anybody else got a vision to plant churches? They looked at me like I had three eyes and a horn and wings or something. They thought I was nuts. They thought I was absolutely nuts. I mean silenced the room, and they just moved on to the next person. It was so awkward, you guys. It was awful. And they are pastors. Like, yeah, God's called us to grow disciples and plant churches. What are you guys doing? I don't know, potlucks and Sunday worship. And, and I'm just like... But here's the reality. 
I shared this with you last week, 94% of churches in America never plant a church. Only 6% of churches in America will plant another church. We just believe that God has called us to be among that 6% to actually plant another church. And, and where do we get this idea from? The Bible, right? This is how the church grew. Is they just went to different regions, to different areas, and they just started with a small group of people and they would plant a new church. And then they would plant a new church and they would plant a new church. Why do we think in 2019 we need to stop planting churches? There are people that do not know Jesus. We, this, because this is God's mechanism for proclaiming the gospel. But even church people, pastors, struggle with what does it mean to plant a church? And I shared with you last week that in just a couple weeks, we're going to be planting our first church. Amen. Amen. We're going to be planting our first church. Folks, think about this. We're not even two and a half years old. or about two and a half years old. We are planting our first church. 999 to go, right? This is who God has called us to be. And we, we, looked, we thought about this idea of planting churches. And, and I, I, I thought it was kind of crazy, too. But we just have continued to keep our eyes open to pray and just look where the Holy Spirit is moving. And God invited us to be a part of this church plant. So in two weeks, we're going to be a part of St. Martin Lutheran Church. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Clap for that. Group of spiritual nomads. Like, what do we do? We're lost. Many of us haven't been to church in years. We have faith in God. We just have no faith community. See, God calls his people to do some really crazy things like paint blood on doorposts, like actually planting churches uh, in the communities where it just seems kind of odd and weird. And I, I'm going to give you guys a challenge this morning. As you're walking out the door, door um, uh, I had Emma put together uh, some little booklets of our church mission and vision statement. And inside there, it's got all the information about growing disciples who grow disciples who grow disciples, right? But then it's also about planting churches to plant churches to plant churches. I want to challenge each of you this week when you're sharing with someone about your church and they say, so what does your church do? Oh, we are, we're just planting a thousand churches over the next 40 years. See what happens. See how many eyes they paint on your forehead uh, when you share that vision with them. That, that's just what we do. We're weird. We're a weird church. We, just, we actually believe that God has called us to plant churches, to plant churches that bring hope to the world, a world that so desperately needs Jesus. And I think that's what it means to have faith. In spite of the crud, the muck, the struggle, the hardship, the falling down, picking ourselves back up, looking each other in the eye, and saying, you are a beloved child. You are forgiven. You are named. You are claimed. And Jesus has invited you to walk with him forever. Let us pray. God, we do thank you that you are a God who comes and meets us in the midst of our brokenness, our struggle, and our hardship. We thank you, God, for a man by the name of Moses, who lived so faithfully. Oh, he was broken. He was a mess. 
that you used him to bring healing to the nations. And God, we believe that we're standing on Mount Nebo, looking into the promised land where you've called us to go. And so Lord, help us each and every day to walk by faith and experience that joy and that freedom and that peace that one day we'll get to experience with you. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.